0: Praise the Lord. Wow, Ron, I forgot to tell you, don't get them too whipped up before I preach. (laughs) Wow. Top that, preacher. (laughs) No way. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you for being a part of camp meeting, for giving, praying, supporting in every way. I am just so honored that you would have me come and be one of the speakers and I can tell you that no one's gotten any more out of this camp meeting than I have. I feel lighter, I feel closer to the Lord, I feel like I've learned some new things and I've made new friends and God is here. Aren't you glad? This is a good place. I want you to take your Bibles with me if you would and take, uh, find Second Kings in the Old Testament. And uh, while you're finding that, I just uh, gonna tip you off that I'm gonna talk about a preacher who disappointed somebody initially And uh, that can happen in this day. This is a tough day for preachers. In fact, I have to say that the evangelist that was preaching not long ago here disappointed me a little bit. I mean, I loved his message, but he started bringing up Ohio State, Michigan and talking about love and all that stuff. And it just really was difficult for me. (laughs) I I love what I've been hearing, but uh, I don't know if I can love when it comes to football. That's going to be tough. But anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's a tough world to be a pastor. I wanted to share with you, uh, while you're finding 2 Kings 5, uh, just a few things that have actually been told to me as a pastor over the last uh, few years, some interactions I had with people. You, you're, maybe this won't surprise you, but uh, maybe it will. One guy said, he called me for lunch, and he asked me to come over, and he said, uh, you know, pastor, he said, some people think you walk on water. I'm thinking to myself, my spirit's getting up. He says, you know, I'm starting to feel good about what he's about to say. And then he says, but I don't. <laughs> and then he moved on to tell me what he thought. Another lady told me one time, she said, uh, that shirt is definitely not your color. I thought to myself, man alive, what if I had said that to you about what you wore today? <laughs> well, here's one that was uh, fairly recent uh, within the last couple of years. I vit- when I went to the meet and greet at my new church in uh, Indiana. And I was coming into the sanctuary, I kid you not, these are the first five people I met. Hi, my name is Gary. Greeted them. The second person, Hi, my name is Gary. I greeted them. The third person, Hi, my name is Gary. I greeted them. The fourth person, Hi, my name is Carrie. (laughs) And the fifth person said, my name is Larry. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? Is this the way this whole church is? Are you joking? I can't believe it. Here's a question I was asked by somebody in the church. How much do you weigh? Can you believe that? Can somebody ask? Now, don't ask me that question after the service. But you know what's worse than asking the preacher what he weighs? In, my, in our first Sunday, my, in, our, in our second pastorate, My wife was six months pregnant, and I kid you not, never having met anybody before, a woman comes up to her and says, Sheila, how much do you weigh? Sheila said, I'm not going to tell you that. And she said, Well, just tell me the least you've ever weighed. And Sheila said, Eight pounds. Sometimes you just can't win, you know. <laughs> Sometimes our kids help us out. Our kids have helped us pastor each one of our churches. Uh, I had uh, one of them, one time was asked by somebody, "What'd you have for supper?" And she said, "Well, she's about five years old. She said we had spaghetti and meatballs, and she said we had breadsticks and marijuana, marijuana sauce." I had to take Anthony out of the service after the music one time, and I thought to myself, we had a guest preacher, an evangelist was there. I thought I can take a turn taking him out instead of Sheila. I picked him up in my arms, started carrying him out, and he started yelling, but I just wanted to praise the Lord. (laughs) Our youngest daughter was told by a boy in Sunday school, Hannah, you're bossy. She said, I am not bossy, now shut up and sit down. (laughs) And my all-time favorite was Anthony's greeting, a newcomer at the church, when he said to them as they walked through the door, do you have head lice? <laughs> and I said, welcome to the Church of the Nazarene. <laughs> Sometimes we just don't come off uh, exactly the way we want to and in the ministry, and sometimes uh, it may even be uh, impossible to do so. And we have that going on in this passage of Scripture. Let's stand in honor of God's Word as we read it together. 2 Kings, chapter 5, beginning with the first verse. And here it says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. And he was a great man in the sight of his master, and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram, which is modern Syria. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went out to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfar the rivers of Damascus better than all waters of Israel couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed so he turned and he went off in a rage Naaman's servants went to him and said my father if the Prophet had told you to do some great thing would you not have done it how much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Father, thank you so much for this service. It's been wonderful. Now, Lord, we need your help in this portion as well. Give us the ability to focus on this uh, account in the scriptures and help us, Lord, to hear your voice. Help me to preach as only you can enable a person to do with anointing and power. Give me wisdom. Lord, I don't want to be tied to notes. I want to give the message of God. And so, Lord, I pray you'd free my spirit and anoint me and give us ears to hear what you would say tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When I was serving as an intern chaplain at Nationwide Children's Hospital a number of years ago, uh, there were people from all over the world that came to find healing and help at that hospital. In fact, uh, one night I was on a shift in the middle of the night and and I got a call that there was someone uh, in the other end of the hospital and they needed my attention right away. They said, you're gonna need an interpreter. They're from Russia and they've come all the way from Moscow and their baby is dying. I got there and uh, by the time I had walked all the way across the hospital, the baby was gone. They had flown with their cardiologist, their own personal cardiologist, all the way from Moscow, Russia, to be at Nationwide Children's Hospital where they expected to have heart surgery, but before they could have the heart surgery, the the precious little infant baby went into arrest. They tried to save it, but they couldn't save the baby. When I walked into the room, it was absolute bedlam and chaos as not only was there tremendous grief and wailing as you would expect from parents, but there was also confusion in the scene because the Russian cardiologists disagreed with the American doctors and the protocols that they were instituting and believed that they were somehow partly responsible for what had taken place. In the middle of that scene, I was called to be the presence of the Lord and somehow a a calming presence. And I want to tell you, it just was more than I could possibly imagine. I asked the Lord to help me, and He did. Not really so much about this, but I stayed with them for hours. I prayed with them. They couldn't understand me. I couldn't understand them. Very little bit of communication between myself and them. But I stayed with them. And there's one thing that I've discovered is that love translates in any language. Care translates in any language. Prayer translates in any language. A few days later, they were collecting the remains of their son. They contacted the administration. They wanted to know who the chaplain was that night that was with them. They said, we don't want another chaplain. We want that chaplain. We want him to come and help us as we receive the remains of our son and go back to Russia. They called me on the phone. I thought they was about a lawsuit. They said, are you the one that was there? I said, yes. They said they want you. I went and I shared with them just a little of the gospel and gave them a little bit of prayer, a little bit of hope. I even, somebody had actually even mailed me a year before, I don't know who it was. I don't know where it came from, but a gospel of John in Russian and I thought it was a novelty and I had put it on my desk as a novelty and then I realized why the Gospel of John had been sent to me in the mail by an anonymous person that I didn't know and I brought it to them and gave it to them and the cardiologist, I don't know if he had any faith at all, but he crossed his arms and he thanked me and he he sensed that there was somehow that God was there and he appreciated so much the love and care. It's amazing what people will do when they're desperate for hope, desperate for healing. My aunt, who was just 18 months older than I am because I'm the oldest of my mother's children, my mother was the oldest of her siblings, and this one was the youngest of her siblings, and I'm the oldest of my mom's children. We were 18 months apart, almost brother and sister. She developed cancer when she was 40. She married a very wealthy man in Dallas, Texas who had all the billboards all over the city, the big billboards that are everywhere. He he had that business and they had the ability. They traveled the world trying to find a cure for cancer. But with all their money, they couldn't do it. They, They would have gone anywhere. They would have done anything. There wasn't anything they wouldn't try to try to get the hope that they needed. Naaman was a great and powerful man Naaman was a commander of the army. You might think of him as commander in chief just below the king, who has probably been hated the second. He is a a very politically connected man. He's powerful, he's highly thought of, he's a victorious general, he's valiant, he is respected, successful, wealthy, powerful in every way but the Bible says. But he was a leper. Leprosy was a term used in Bible days for a variety of skin diseases and disorders that may or may not be exactly what we think of. We think of leprosy today, but nonetheless, patches on the skin could turn different colors and begin to flake and peel and even rot and eventually could uh, become kind of an oozing, smelly rotting flesh that eventually would just die and drop off the bone. The flesh would rot right off the body. It was a devastating condition to have. We don't know at what stage it was when Naaman had this, but he had some kind of condition that caused him to be very desperate for hope and help. Raiders had uh, gone back and forth between Israel and Syria. It all periodically happened. Little skirmishes between the country. It's amazing. It's been happening for thousands of years. It's happening now. They're little skirmishes. And these skirmishes resulted in a slave girl from Israel being captured. And she was taken into their home where she was the nurse to uh, Naaman's wife. And when she observed the condition of her uh, master's uh, illness... She had compassion on him. She told his wife, if he only could see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would heal him. Just a side note, not really the main focus, but I think it's kind of noteworthy to point out that an Israeli or an Israelite woman who is a slave in a Syrian household, which is the enemy, is finding compassion upon her captor and wants somehow in the midst of that even to share something of her faith and share something of her hope even under those conditions. It's amazing when you think about it. Naaman's situation had gotten bad enough that he was willing to travel and do whatever. He contacted the king and got permission. The king said, not only will I allow you to go, I'll, let you, I'll write you a letter of passage and send it to the king and you can go to the king of Israel and you can tell him that I have sent you. He was desperate. A great soldier who is now willing, he's so desperate that he's willing to travel to the enemy at the word of a slave girl to meet a prophet that he doesn't know and in a, under a religion that he doesn't understand but he somehow wants help. He's somehow desperate for change. How many people do you know that are pretty well situated, pretty cool, they've got things going, they have good relationships, they're popular, they're connected, Uh, maybe they were well off, maybe they're not, but they're just really good, nice people and they're solid, but there's something wrong, they're lost. They're without God. They don't know Him. Wouldn't it be something if some of us would care enough, even as a slave girl cared about the enemy that was holding her captive, to say something that might bring hope in that situation. I know there are good, really good people. I know good people that are good in every way, but they don't know the Lord. I even know people in church who are really good people, but if anything else comes up, that's always the priority. It just kind of, it just kind of, you know, church is kind of the default position if there's nothing better going on, and, and they're just kind of on the fringe. Being a good person, being a good gal, being a good guy, having good grades, having success is not all there is to life. I've heard people talk about how proud they are of people, and yet, they say, well, they have this job and this position and they've made this money and, and they're doing so well. Are they injured? Well, no. Are, 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 did, they, did they follow in your faith? No. Possible to be a great person, successful, highly regarded, powerful, connected uh, in every way, to have a lot of good things going on and still have a great need in your life. The Bible says Naaman was given the opportunity to go, and he did go. And as he went, when he arrived there, he was given the opportunity to respond. He went, uh, after going to the king of Syria, he went to the king of Israel and he hands the letter. The king of Israel reads the letter and he is beside himself, he's distressed. This may be a trick. After all, this letter says that he's he's gonna cure Naaman. He says, am I God, I can't cure Naaman. A leper? Why have you done that? Why has he come to me? He tore his robes. Somehow the prophet Elisha hears about that and says, why are you tearing your robes and why are you so upset, king? Send him to me that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. And so he does. And now we get to the thrust of it. He takes his chariot, He's in full military regalia, his horses, his guards, his money, his gold, his silver, his clothes, his payments, he's got an entourage, he is arriving in style. This is just below the king. This is big stuff. In the modern day, he's arriving in a motorcade of Cadillac Escalades with all kinds of guards and Secret Service. And he's pulling up to the prophet's door. And this guy is somebody. And he arrives at the prophet's door. And he waits. And he waits, and he waits. And finally a servant comes to the door and hands him a message. The prophet says, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. And now, Naaman's spirit is revealed. Naaman's blood boils. Naaman basically says in modern language, are you kidding me? I've traveled all of these miles. I have brought all of these men, these horses. I've loaded everything up. Are you kidding me that this preacher is so lazy he can't even drag himself out of his chair and come to the door and greet me himself? His expectations are completely exploded. I am a great man, but a leper. Does he have any idea who I am? His ego is blown. The commander of the army might have been tempted in modern days, call the DS, call the bishop, call the board. Can you believe that somebody of this stature has come to the preacher's door? And all he does is send a servant to say, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. This is absolutely turning him purple with rage. And then there's the procedure. (laughs) Are you kidding? We have rivers in Syria And we have better rivers in Syria than the Jordan. And if all I needed was a bath, I would have taken a bath in Syria. Thank you very much. I thought surely he would come and do some kind of magical incantation. My expectation is he'd come and he'd lay his hands on me or he'd wave his hands over me, or he'd say some kind of magical or some kind of spiritual words, or maybe he would knock somebody down like the modern prophets, or maybe he'd blow on them like Benny Hinn does. He'd do something that was mystical, something that was outstanding, something that would help me believe that this somehow will be a miracle. But the procedure was patently ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. He knew See, he was a great man. He's used to giving orders. He's used to being in command, but now he's not in command, but he still thinks he knows more than everybody else, and he's frustrated. I'm always amazed how people seem to know so much. I was at a hotel lobby not long ago here in Ohio, and... uh, a couple of men were talking and it was very entertaining. The news was on, I think the world was exploding into flames and all kinds of, I could not get rivet, unriveted from these men. They, they, were, they solved every problem from the great reformation to their preachers, to their divorce lawyers. I mean, they had the answers for everything. They were tearing the preachers apart. I had all I could do to keep from introducing myself as a preacher, but I didn't think they would probably care for it too much and I thought I just might have better better mind my own business. In danger of missing it. Camp Syker, 148 years old. Camp Syker where I don't know if it's always been slab fours, but maybe perhaps in the past there was dirt and sawdust. I don't know. But but all of the people that have prayed over these altars, the people who have gotten saved, the people who've been entirely sanctified, the people who've been called to preach, the people who've been called to missions, the healings that have taken place. Somebody says, I have gave my life fully and became a fully dedicated layman in the church. Somebody else, their marriage was restored. Their children came back. The prodigal came home. All of that happening here. And here we are. What a wonderful place. And people have been getting help this week. It's been amazing what's been going on this week. We are so close to what God has been doing and is doing in this place. And Naaman was so close. But his ego, his attitude, his mind, his, his, uh, his arrogance, his pride was the one obstacle that seemed to keep, it, keep him from moving forward. He had what we would call the, the sinful mind. You know, the, the sin is a twofold problem. Uh, they're the sins we commit. If he disobeyed, that was a sin he committed. But out of that, that, that act, there is the disposition of sinfulness and he displays it so wonderfully or so terribly, if you will, hostile to God, not subject to God, not wanting to cooperate with God, wanting to be in charge, absolutely the center of his own world. His pride dominating everything. The one thing that could block him from what he needed most was his own self. Why do I need to repent? Why do I need to be baptized? I, I, I don't know, this may shock you, I hope it doesn't. Uh, but have you ever read any place in the New Testament where it really says, actually, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm saying if you did do this, you did a good thing. But have you ever read in the New Testament where it ever says that the answer to, to becoming saved is to invite Jesus into your heart as your personal savior? Well, we, we contrive that, we draw that, we believe that, but, but you know what the Bible actually says? Repent. Repent of your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe, repent, believe, and be baptized. Why would I need to be baptized? Why would I need to repent? Why would I, couldn't I just do it my own way? Couldn't I just kind of float along? can I just kind of just have a warm fuzzy in the, in the chapel? can I just do what I want to do? No, the Bible says, the apostle Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you. They said, what shall we do? We're cut to the heart. Repent and be baptized, every one of you for the forgiveness of sins. And you too will receive the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Isn't it amazing? Now, I'm not, you say, pastor, are you saying evangelist? Are you saying that if I'm not baptized in water, but I believe in Jesus, I'm not saved? I'm not saying that. All's I'm saying is what the Bible says. The Bible says that his instruction to us is to repent, to believe, and to be Baptized. That's his instruction. The instruction for Naaman was was to go down into the water. My wife, she has been a part of the Church of the Nazarene for all of her life except in the earliest years she was a part of the Church of Christ and Christian Union. Somewhere along the way, the scripture said and it, it, it was revealed to her, the Bible says, repent and be baptized in water. This is obedience. This is the first step. In. This is an admission a into the body of Christ. This is the symbolic uh, movement, but it's also a, a work of grace that God does for us. Be baptized. She was troubled. She believed in Jesus. I think she'd have gone to heaven. She, she, she believed in Jesus, but she said, I've never been baptized. Jesus is telling me I need to be baptized. That's the scripture. Uh, uh, the, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. She talked to her pastor. She says, I got a problem. I'm afraid of water. Her problem wasn't her ego. Her problem was her fear. And every time the issue of baptism came up, She backed away from it because of her fear of water. Now, if she had been in some churches, uh, they would have solved that. They said, well, we can sprinkle you, and then it will be okay. And and that would have been okay. But, But in the tradition and in the churches she was at, all the baptisms she had seen were immersion, and it was a tremendous thing. So she talked to her pastor. She said, but Jesus tells me I must be baptized, and I want to obey Him. So finally, the day of baptism came. She was a nervous wreck. The pastor took her down into the water. And when she came up, she shouted, and the smile across her face, the joy she had obeyed, the Lord, and the Lord had blessed her. I think her sins were already forgiven, but what she was doing was she was like, I was lost and I'm found. I'm obeying the Lord. I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanna go on record as a part of the church of Jesus Christ. I wanna have full obedience. If he said to obey, I want to obey, and this is an area of obedience. Naaman was raging and raging about what was going on. Go to the Jordan. Are you kidding me? We have better rivers in Syria. Blah, blah, blah. Why would I need so close? I mean, he's right there. He's got the prophet. He went all the effort. He went to camp meeting. He, he, he loaded up the car. He did everything he was supposed to, right there. Blah, blah, blah. Why should I go to the altar? Why should I pray? Why should I make a pledge? Why should I? Why should I? What if the Lord is telling us to do something tonight? What if he's calling you to obey? What if he's calling you to the ministry? What if he's asking you to repent of your sins and be baptized? What if he's asking you to consecrate yourself and be sanctified fully? What if he's asking you to be a missionary? What if he's asking you to go and mend a fence with somebody where relationships are broken? What if he's asking you to be compassionate? I love missions, I wanna go to the whole world. Why are we so excited about going to the Latin Americans but we're not very happy when the Latin Americans are at our doorstep and we wanna turn them away? Folks, if they're people that need Jesus, we ought to embrace the opportunity to do whatever Jesus wants us to do. Blah, blah, blah. That phony didn't even get out of bed and tell me himself. Name and servant say, Father, If he asked you to do something really hard, would you do it? He's desperate. If he asked you to do something complex, would you? What have you got to lose? Maybe you're right. But I don't like it. Go down to the Jordan River. (laughs) Okay. One. Two. Is anybody looking? This is ridiculous. Three. I'll not be able to walk after this sermon. Four. Five. Six. (laughs) What? <laughs> But the God of Israel, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. I'm clean. Oh. 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 And I almost missed it. almost missed it because of my pride my arrogance and my position and what other people thought I almost missed why I came and I'm that close and I almost Turned away and I've sat in the seats and thought to myself I think the Lord wants me to go to the altar I've sat there and I thought you know It doesn't really matter anymore who was right and who was wrong. This relationship needs to be healed. Somebody's gotta do something about it. And I sat there and somebody says, what difference does it make if I really go to the altar? None if Jesus isn't telling you to go to the altar. What difference does it make if I'm baptized in water? None if Jesus didn't tell you to be baptized in water? (laughs) What difference does it make? If I'm the first one to be the bigger person and to try to bridge the relationship, especially if they were the ones that caused it in the first place, and I know I'm right anyway, because I'm usually right. But what if I humbled myself? What difference does it make who goes first? Unless Jesus says, you go first. There are folks here in this tabernacle. You came from miles. You've had great ministry. I mean, you've had tremendous preaching and teaching. You've had tremendous fellowship. And God has been working. But God's not done. God wants to do something in our lives. In some cases, young people, He wants us to repent of our sins. That is, to forsake them. To say we don't. We've made a mess of it. We want to be forgiven, and we want to go a completely different direction. We want to repent, and we need to seek baptism with our pastor. For some of us, we need to be all in. Somebody might even need to be healed. But the Lord is waiting for us to follow. You say, "Oh, that's just silly. Why should I? Why should I go dip seven times in the Jordan?" Can I just pray about it at home, at my bed? I don't know, unless God tells you that that's what he wants you to do, then by all means, do it at home, at your bed, if that's working for you. But if it's not working for you, and God has said that he wants you to come and have other people pray for you, why not come? What have you got to lose? My, I think it's so close. Hey. I love what's going on here. But wouldn't it be terrible? I've thought of this before. What if the time I check out is the time God wants me to check in? I was sitting in camp meeting. I was expecting to be entertained when the district superintendent said, I think we should open the altar. And In my spirit, something came up. And I thought, he's speaking to me now. And the question was, what, Paul Whiteford, are you going to do about it? I don't know if it's true or not, but I thought to myself, maybe the Lord was saying, I don't know, maybe it was just my own thoughts. I may never have another opportunity for the Lord to give me such specific instructions to straighten out what's wrong in my spirit than what I'm getting right now and I can't afford to take the chance that there might come another day when I'll be able to have another opportunity, I better respond right now. And when I did, I'm telling you, God met me right there at a place of prayer and He took something away from me that needed to be dealt with in a significant way, and it had to do with my inability to love other people, particularly people that disagreed with me about things. And I had to learn somehow to to adjust my thinking about that. But one thing I did, I asked the Lord to cleanse me and help me with that, and He did. And then the fruit of that came the next day when I went starting and mending the door fences and I went into one particular man's office who was a professor at the college. And I know his heart groaned when he saw me at the door because he knew how unkind I had been. He said, come in. I said, I've come to tell you something what is it? I went to the altar last night. God sanctified my heart. And I've got to tell you something else, I've been saying some things. I was wrong. I've come to ask you to forgive me. Before I could say anything else, that gentleman popped out of his seat and was across the room and embracing me and said, of course, I forgive you. I love you. What if I had missed it? What if I had said, I got plans after the service. I don't want to get my hair messed up, and get crying and stuff like that. Y'all, I got stuff to do. God said, today's the day. Let's stand together. Is God saying something to you? What does he want you to do? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to repent? Do you need to believe? Do you need to give your all? Is God speaking to you about a call to ministry? Is God asking you to come and consecrate something? The altar's open. I invite you to come. Why don't you come now? If God is speaking, if he's not speaking, if praying at your bed tonight will work, if that's working for you and you feel peace in your heart and you feel totally satisfied, do that. But if you don't have peace in your heart and you know that you are this close to a breakthrough, I invite you to come tonight. The altar's open. Let's sing together as God helps us. The altar's open. Speak ye
1: first the kingdom of
0: God. What's it saying
1: to you? Yes, today the
0: day. Oh, there's many. There should be many. God is speaking.
1: And all these things shall be added unto you. Hallelujah. Ask and it shall be given. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek. Seek and ye shall find. Knock. Knock and it shall be opened unto you.
0: When I was 18 years old, I was sitting in the congregation and I was wondering to myself, how would a guy know if he's called to the ministry? What does God want to do with my life? The pastor said, I hadn't planned to talk about this. I want to deviate from my notes just for a minute and say, why aren't there more young men and women responding to the call to preach? Why aren't more people giving their lives to the Lord for ministry? We need you. We need this generation. We need some people to say yes to ministry and yes to lay ministry. We need to say, have some people say, if he calls, I'm willing. I don't know if he's calling, but I'm willing and I wanna go on record and say, Lord, if you're troubling my heart about this, I'm willing. I didn't go to the altar, but I did go to the pastor right after the service. I said, I think you answered every question in my mind. God is speaking to some of us here today. Some of us have family members we're praying for. God has told us some things about what he wants us to do, how he wants to respond. Why don't you come and pray for them? Why don't you come and pray for yourself? What does God, I know that there are many that God is speaking to in this camp meeting that need to respond. Let's sing together. The altar is open. I believe many would come. Maybe you'll unlock it for somebody else. Why don't you come? See ye first. The kingdom
1: of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Hallelujah! And let's sing, Ask and it shall be given. As and it shall be given
0: Close your eyes and bow your head just for a moment. Would you just raise your hand and say, As far as I know, my heart, I'm being obedient to the Lord, and I can leave this place in a good conscience because I know that as far as I know, I'm being obedient. Would you just raise your hand? I'm being obedient, as far as I know. All right, thank you for that. If you're unable to raise your hand, I'm going to ask that you come. Maybe we'll have some supportive prayer around these who are at the altar. If we have some counselors and different ones that come, would you come out now and support us in prayer? And while they're coming, why don't you come for yourself if you're uncertain? Why don't we gather around these and pray? Can we sing one more verse while they're doing that? Counselors, friends, family, would you come and supportive prayer around the altar? Come for yourself if you need First, to. the kingdom of God.
1: And his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you.
2: Loving Heavenly Father, our theme, while it's been unofficial throughout, has been to respond. Lord, it's not enough simply to be stirred and moved, but then to walk away. Lord, move towards response. Yes. So whatever you're asking us to do, whether it's to come to the altar, to linger and talk with someone else, Simply make the place we are an altar unto itself of prayer of consecration. and consecration, then, Lord, let us respond well and rightly. And, Lord, if our conscience is clear, if we can say with all assurance that we're being obedient to you, then, Lord, may we go in peace, filled with the knowledge and the witness of the Spirit that you are ours and we are yours. Lord, if there's still business that we need to do, then don't let us leave this place until we've taken care of the business, the business for which we have come. And now Lord, may your blessing be upon us all. The name of our great savior, Jesus Christ, amen.